John chapter 1. And we're continuing to look at the first chapter of John chapter 1. And the series is called Jesus, God Among Us. And uh, we're looking at the fact that Jesus, God, came in the flesh and walked this earth. And today we can have a personal relationship with Jesus. Last week we looked at him being the one and only. And today we're going to have a look from verses 19 to verse 28 at John. Not John, the writer of John's gospel, but John the Baptist and how he was a witness to the one and only Christ. This is what it says from John chapter 1, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptising. Let's pray together, shall we? God, this morning we're here. We're here because we want to know more about you. God, we're here And we've come to know you by faith. Faith in the one and only, the one who we have believed and received. And because of that faith, we've become your children. We're part of your family. You are our God. We are your children. God, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit here amongst us today. God, that you take Uh, the words that we speak as we speak your word and you apply it to our hearts and you convict us and you challenge us and you change us. And this morning, God, that's why we're here. We long to be more and more godly in our lives. We long to live lives that are holy. We long to live lives that are, are fully lived in view of your watchful eye. God, not only do we long to become more and more like you, Lord Jesus. We want other people to come to know you. God, this morning as we've opened your word and if we've read about John the Baptist and the way that he pointed to you, God, would you speak to our hearts about how we in our lives might be able to point to others and help them see you too. God, 
You are just so amazing. We thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for setting us free. This is not our doing, but all of yours. And we're just full, thankful recipients of your grace and your love. And God, this morning we would cry out for those that are sick today, those that are recovering from operations, those that are about to face operation. Oh God, we pray for your presence to be known in these people's lives. God, we pray that recovery would be great and that you'd be healing. Lord, we pray for those who are feeling down today and maybe left out. God, people who feel that you're far from them and they, and they really find it hard to cry out to you at this point. Oh God, would you be revealing yourself to them? And God, this morning we thank you for your omnipresence, that you're here amongst us now, Holy Spirit. And yet right now you're at the Valley Homestead with our uh, women from our church. God, as they break bread and share in communion, as they listen to Joe Jarlett as she speaks your word, would you speak to them in a very deep way? Holy Spirit, touch lives. Holy Spirit, draw them together. And God, be glorified, we pray. We ask that for us here, Lord. We, we don't come just because we want to do things as we've always done. We want to be changed by you. So Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning afresh. We're listening. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So God, challenge us and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if anyone here this morning knows who Claire Werbeloff is. Anyone know who Claire Werbeloff is? Oh, did I hear someone say something? Chick, chick, boom. That's right. Uh, what happened is, is Claire Werbeloff became uh, quite famous when she apparently eyewitnessed a murder take place right in the heart of King's Cross just uh, in May. And uh, what happened was the, um, someone was killed in cold blood, shot, and a, sh a shooting took place. And while Channel 9 cameras arrived on the scene, she jumped into the light and limelight and was interviewed right near the scene and told in graphic detail what had happened. And uh, she told what one had said to the other and what the other had said to the other. And then at the end she said, and one guy grabbed a gun, said, I will call on my fully sick boys, hey, and then pulled out a gun and went chick, chick, boom. It was, it was graphic, an eyewitness account. And as it was posted on uh, YouTube... Quickly, it received over 200,000 hits, people watching the eyewitness account of her story. And the Sunday Mail um, wrote that they could, can reveal that the 19-year-old told investigating police that she had made up the whole thing. So she was uh, someone who was near a shooting, 
saw an opportunity to get on the TV and fabricated the whole story. Police had interviewed her afterwards and found that her story did not add up and that she had suddenly seen an opportunity to become famous or whatever it was and so she jumped in front of the screen. She was getting overwhelming media coverage after that and now it got even more as the story being fabricated was told. Someone who was a eyewitness then became a complete fraud. I want to tell you this morning, there's something disturbing about me sometimes. I think there's a little dark side or a temptation within me. And it happens right down in my heart so none of you could ever know. So it's a bit weird me even sharing this with you. But what can start to happen with me is that I've got this little thing that starts to think, yes, Jesus saved me and I'm saved by his grace. But every now and again I can start to flip in my heart and start to have a little bit of old self-righteousness coming in as well, thinking, God loves me a little more than others. Yeah, that's a sign. (laughs) (laughs) It's subtle sometimes. Like, it can be subtle. Maybe it starts for me when I've had a really great quiet time in the morning. You know, and maybe I felt like it's been a rich and great time and I'll be walking along and, you know, it's just a fleeting thought, an embarrassing thought, you know, a silly thought. But sometimes just to think, well, I had a great quiet time this morning. I wonder if they have. <laughs> Perhaps I'm, God would really be pleased with me today. You know, it's a bit embarrassing to even say it, but the thoughts come in. Maybe, uh, as other times, it might be that I feel like, wow, someone's dropped a few swear words around. I think, oh, gee, I'm glad I don't swear like that. Aren't I good? <laughs> or, or, or maybe I've done a lot of nice things for a friend and really helped them out and thought, gee, I hope someone finds out about that. Because I know God definitely knows about it. And in fact, if I can look back on my life, there are times in all different situations where this temptation to kind of, for me, to grab the limelight in my own life, you know, rather than giving God the glory, can happen. I can look back on the way where God's clearly spoken to me. I mean, he's clearly spoken in such a tangible way that now when we read, you know, I can have faith not only because I believe that it's true, but because I've experienced God and his presence in my life. There's been times when I knew so totally and wholeheartedly that God was calling me, that to not obey would have been clear disobedience. It was that clear to me. And sometimes, weird as it sounds, I can look back and think, well, I suppose... uh, I'm a little bit better than others. Now, it doesn't happen very often, and it's not something that always happens, but it's a little temptation that's in there that if I thought long enough, some of the worst of it can come out is that when I start to think about, gee, my parents were great Christian people, my granddad was a pastor, and gee, aren't I blessed? Doesn't God really love me because of that? 
Those things can happen. I got I don't know about you, whether it's just me, but whether other people feel this, but I think sometimes we all have a temptation more and more to take the centre in our lives instead of giving God the glory. Sometimes I look around and I see that there is evidence in other people's lives as well. Some people get very upset at the behaviour of people who aren't even Christians. And they kind of look down on them. And they start judging them harshly when they forget that the people they're judging are doing exactly the same things that they did before they believed and received in the one and only who by the power of his spirit and his grace has helped them overcome those very sins. And yet now it's almost as though they think that was me that overcame that sin. It was me that did that. And aren't I good? Instead of recognising that it was Christ who forgave them and saved them. If anyone deserves glory, it's him. It's him that deserves the glory. Others think, well, I know particularly about the best uh, version of the Bible. You know, I know which one's the best one you should get. And I'm, I know that. Or I know what kind of music's the best one. And I can tell you which one we should be doing. And other people, you know, might harshly criticise a kind of style that we have as though we're the ones. You know, as though a certain era or something was the, the best. And newcomers can feel completely... Like they just don't know what's going on. And it's almost like the kind of Bible that we read is more important than the one who actually saved us by his grace and mercy and bought us this freedom and new life in Christ. I see other people and And often what can happen is a pride can sneak in there. A pride where we can believe that we're better than others. That we're better, we know more than other people. Sometimes it can happen within your small group where you start to think, I think I actually know even more than my small group leader. (coughs) Maybe if this little group starts over here, we can show our small leader a a thing or two. Or maybe even people might say, I think I even know better than the pastor. Or or I think this church is better than that church. Or this denomination is better than that denomination. Or maybe you can say, God has worked in such miraculous ways. I have a supernatural gift that others don't have, so therefore I'm better. Maybe it's not just me. Maybe there's a temptation in all of us to take the centre point in our lives. And I think the worst thing about all this is that the world can look on and see the pride and the arrogance in our lives if we're not careful. Those who claim to be Christians... And many people can look and say, well, if that's the church, if, those, if that's the church that's treating me like because I don't know or because I didn't do this or because I act this way, that I'm worth nothing, you know, and they're fantastic, then I don't want to have any part of it. I remember a telling, gripping story in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, 
where a woman who was in such desperation and hunger and star starvation took the horrible step of putting her own daughter out, you know, a five-year-old daughter out to prostitution. And the pastor who, she, who was talking to her, or the counsellor who was talking to her said, why didn't you go to anybody, somebody, before taking that dreadful step? Why didn't you go to a church? They would have helped you. He said, I already felt so terrible. Why would I go to a place that would make me feel more terrible? I think those kind of things would break God's heart. And yet all of us can be guilty of sort of saying, oh, because I've been following Jesus for this long, I'm better than other people. Or because I've stopped doing this habitual habit, I'm better, I'm stronger. I'm... And this pride can sleep, you know, sneak in. And it must break Jesus' heart. It must break the heart of God. And today... I think as we come, the big question we must ask ourselves is what kind of witness are you being? Are you being in your own life a kind of clear witness, you know, who jumps into the light, light, limelight and sort of says, you know, yeah, Jesus saved me, but you know, now here I am, I'm a fantastic person. Or are you the kind of witness that points people to Jesus with your life. Not me, but he. Not me that's great, but Jesus is great. You know, I, I'm only a sinner who's saved by his grace. Jesus is the one and only. If ever there was a man who you would think qualified for a bit of pride in his life, it was John. Now, I'm not talking about John the Apostle who wrote the, the Gospel of John. I'm talking about John the Baptist. We know of John from other Gospels, especially Luke, at the start of Luke's Gospel. And you can turn there, if you, if you like, to the start of Luke, Luke chapter 1. But we know that he had remarkable parents. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both born from the tribe of, of Levi. They were elderly and childless. And one day, Zechariah was in Jerusalem performing his priestly task when the angel of Gabriel suddenly appeared in the sacred place and spoke to the old priest. Can you imagine that? Surely, uh, at that moment, Zechariah was too stunned to even comprehend what, what was happening. But if the fact that the angel Gabriel came to him was not enough, things were going to get just more incredible because he started talking. Zechariah was, was kind of too stunned to, to comprehend all that was happening because he would have later reflected and thought and remembered that it had been 400 years since the last angelic appearance. But now the angel Gabriel, one of the archangels himself, revealed to this humble priest what was going to happen. Look what happens in Luke 1, 13 to 17. This is what it says. 
your wife will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. And then in verse 15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. In verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Wow. John the Baptist. The Bible tells us it's because Zechariah didn't believe that. What happened was Gabriel struck Zechariah dumb. He couldn't speak. And that stunned man, unable to speak, left the temple that day. Must have been going, what's happened? This is amazing. That's not all that happened. You see, there was a special meeting that took place between Elizabeth and Mary, her cousin. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And that's recorded here in Luke. And in this meeting, there's a meeting of great joy that happens. And Elizabeth is now in her fifth month with the pregnancy. And the angel of Gabriel came and had come and revealed himself to Mary also. And had told Mary in verse 31 of chapter 1, You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. When these two women met together, look what happened. Blessed are you among women. This is what Elizabeth said to Mary. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord could come to, should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There's John in Elizabeth's womb leaping for joy when Mary, bearing Jesus, came close by. Then Mary sang her beautiful song, and you can see it there, uh, the Magnificat. And she, she sang the song, My Soul Praises the Lord. And Mary praised the Lord her God and, and, and for his might, for his holiness, for his mercy. And, of course, that's not the end of the story there. It's not where it finishes because John the Baptist was born. And as he was being circumcised, Zechariah wrote that his name should be called John. And at the moment, that moment, his tongue was loosed. He could speak again. And he sang Zechariah's song, which is listed there as well, over at, at 67, verse 67. And part of his, his, his singing spoke about John, the child. And look in verse 76 and 77 of that song. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord and prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. There's never been anyone like John the Baptist. As he grew, he matured, and he began to take the appearance of a prophet. And he started uh, to wear camel's hair, 
a coat of camel's hair. And he started to eat. Anyone remember what he started to eat? Locusts and wild honey. That's right. And he spent time in the desert land. And he spent lots of time with God, praying and crying out. What a man of God John the Baptist was. He was a man of God. Finally, he kind of, you know, burst onto the scene. Uh, He came, and he came as the supreme witness, the one of all history who would actually acknowledge who Jesus was, the first to declare who Jesus was. And while John's life, John the Baptist, doesn't really, really reveal everything about what it means to be a witness for Jesus. I think it does reveal one key thing. When it comes to being a witness for Christ, what's needed more than anything else is humility. Humility. John came and John the Baptist when he pointed to Jesus he said he not me he said he is the one and only I am not look to him the the world when John came was in confusion. They were looking for a Messiah. They were longing for a saviour. They were looking to see who would come and save them. And in John chapter 1, John had been preaching for over a year and his ministry had caused chaos. People were coming to see him and the rulers and religious rulers of the day were saying, what's going on here? And, and you know, the other gospel writers tell us that multitudes were coming to see John, large multitudes according to the gospels and he, and they came to hear him and they came to hear and to be baptized and Matthew tells us that even Herod sought out uh, John the Baptist and and almost believed and six weeks earlier from this time in John chapter 1 John had been visited by Jesus himself John had first refused to baptize him not you know I shouldn't be baptizing you you should be baptizing me But Jesus said, no, do this to fulfil all righteousness. And John agreed and he baptised Jesus. And John saw the Holy Spirit coming upon him and heard God's word saying, this is my son whom I love. That's Matthew 3.17. And and John's world, don't you think, was just, it was all happening. Everything was happening. People had been coming and people, and then Jesus himself comes and he baptises him and, and he sees and he hears and God declares, this is my son and this is what John had come to do. Now, the religious leaders were kind of really worried and concerned about all the commotion. They wanted to know what was going on and what was John saying. And so they sent a group of people, priests and Levites, and they sent them kind of with religious and political motivations to come and to ask John some questions in this environment. They wanted to know who was John and why was he doing what he's doing? 
What's, what's going on? So look what happens in John chapter 1 as we look at our reading this morning. Now this was John's testimony when he heard the Jews, uh, when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I am not the Christ. And now John knew exactly what they were coming for. And I think he knew because many people would have been asking him the questions or wondering about that for some time now, as John had, many people were coming. And he knew that they wanted to know whether he was the Christ or not. And so he answered them formally and he answered them carefully. He was clear in his words. And as you read this, you must notice so clearly, he, the word confessed, he did not fail to confess, you know, to declare, to speak out. But he confessed freely two times in the one verse so clearly and strongly. And he said, I am not the Christ. Now, I just want you to know, we just read that and we think, good on him. That's wise because he's not the Christ, so he shouldn't say that. I just want you to know, if he had actually grabbed people and said, you know, I am the Christ, let's go. The mood was such that many would have taken up arms and, and, and looked as this an opportunity to overthrow their Roman uh, rulers. They, they would have looked at this as an opportunity for the coming of the kingdom and brought it in forcefully. Yet John readily admitted he was not the Christ. So they asked him, then who are you? Uh, are you Elijah? And this was a fair question, good question. Uh, he looked like Elijah. I mean, he kind of wore the same things that, that Elijah the prophet did. And, and he came in the spirit and power of Elijah and the Jews expected that Elijah would come again because right at the very end of the Old Testament, the final words in Malachi 4 and verses 5 to 6 says that Elijah will come before the day of the Lord. But again, his, John answered, I am not. I am not. And so again, they questioned him. Are you the prophet? And, and they were thinking about... Uh, the one whom Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. But John, again, was very clear, very strong in his teaching. He said, no, I'm not. Verse 22 goes on. And finally they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John's answer uh, in verse 23 to 27, reveals what is of primary importance of witnessing. When it comes to witnessing, uh, he said, I am the voice. He, he used the words of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, he, he reached back 700 years. He said, I'm not the substance. <laughs> I'm just the communicator. I'm not the one. 
I'm just the voice that's talking about the one. He, he, he said, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. And, and, and these prophet Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 40 and verse 3, where this verse comes from, was when the exiles were in Babylon and they were longing to come back home. And, and the prophet was saying, make straight the roads, prepare the way you know, for the God's people to come home. And he said, well, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert, saying, prepare, Christ is coming. I'm the one. I'm the voice. I'm not the one who is the Christ though. I'm merely a workman making the road for the Messiah. He moved the emphasis away from himself. He moved the focus off himself and on to Christ. And look what he says in in, in John 1, 27, he said, he is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, a slave uh, did everything for their master and what would happen is uh, they would even take off their dirty shoes and sandals, you know, uh, but if you were a Jew slave, you know, that was too much. Uh, f- to, you, 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 would, you, could, you could do that, but it would be so yucky that you wouldn't be able to do it. But if you were a Gentile, you know, that would be something that would be low enough uh, to do. And here he's just saying, I'm lower. I'm even lower uh, than any slave. I'm not worthy enough to untie your shoes. I'm not even worthy enough to even do that. That would be below me even. Here he is just turning the conversation away from himself and onto Christ again. It was, it was John who said he was unworthy to perform a task that was relegated to the lowest slave. What humility. And Jesus said about John, he said these words, he said, I tell you, among those born of women, there has never arisen anyone greater than John. That's Matthew 11, 11. Of all who ever lived, including Moses and Abraham, John the Baptist was the greatest. And you can see why he was a Nazareth from the time he was born in, in accordance with that vow that he'd taken, he'd never cut his hair, he'd never touched a dead body, he'd never drank the fruit of the vine, he'd lived a pure, uncontaminated life. He, he was filled with the Holy Spirit since before birth. His mother was likewise a, a Nazarite before his birth. John was the greatest of all men. Jesus said that if there was ever a man who had a temptation, especially as he saw Jesus rising in his popularity and people following Jesus more and more to exalt himself, I reckon John the Baptist would have been one who probably could have. He could have talked about his miraculous birth. He could have talked about how people, uh, how he'd lived such a long time out in the wilderness just talking to God in self-denial. He could have held forth on survival tactics. He could have said, this is how you can make it out there. This is how you can eat locusts and honey and all these kind of things together. But he never did. In John 3, 30, he said, 
He must become greater. I must become less. You know, a witness never, never thrusts themselves into the picture. If a witness is telling a story about a truth, (laughs) they never become the centre of attention. And John was witnessing to Christ. He's saying, he's the one. He's the one, not me. He was saying, not me, he. Not me, he. He's the focus. He's the focus. John was an excellent, excellent witness. Wonder this morning for us, you personally, I think the truth is no matter how long you've been a Christian, we need to point others to Jesus, saying, not me, but he. Sometimes uh, there's a subtle shift that can come and we can say, aren't I good? And therefore, follow what I do. Look how great I am. Look what I... But it's not you, it's Jesus that's changed you. So focus and point people to Jesus. And people that come here for the first time, people who uh, haven't been a Christian for many years, should feel just as loved as those who have been following Jesus for years. Not me, but he. It's he that saved me. And though I've been following him for 20 years, 30 years, however long you have, It's still Christ who makes you what you are. Give him the glory. So the first thing, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, point others humbly to him. Not me, but he. No matter how extraordinary the spiritual experiences you may have had, (laughs) humbly point Jesus Point people to Jesus, saying, not me, but he. Many people have got miraculous stories. Many people know of incredible healings. Some of you have had profound experiences with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have come face to face with the demonic. Some of you have, have faced. But you know what? Even in those incredible times, the danger is that the focus can shift onto the experience rather than onto Jesus. So no matter what your incredible experiences have been, remain humble and in humility point people to Jesus. Not me, but he. Uh, I think also, no matter how many people are starting to follow you, and listen to what you say, no matter how many people start to think that you are absolutely fabulous, no matter how much success you have in your life, it might be that your small group just goes incredibly and you start to think, gee, maybe I've got something, you know. (laughs) Or it could be that uh, we we see uh, many people flocking around a pastor. Or if you start to think, gee, Oh, well, let's put this person on a pedestal. Be very careful 
Remember 1 Corinthians, some say Paul, some say Paul, some follow this one. Yeah, Paul said, no, no, no. Focus on Christ. Look to Jesus. If you're in a position where people are following you, people are looking up to you, remember to say, not me, but he. Jesus is the one who deserves the glory. just want to say to you, I love it when people love our church. I love it when people say, this is a fantastic place to be. I love it when people say, Wodonga Baptist is the best church around. You know. But it's not about that. A great church is a church that points people to Jesus. A great church is one that welcomes broken, addicted, swearing, people with lives that marriages are just falling apart and looks at them and loves them and says, that's how I once was. Let me show you Jesus. He can help you. I think John not only had a humility that was profound in pointing people to Jesus, but he had an urgency. I'm not saying just be nice here. People are dying. (laughs) People are broken. People need to hear that there is the one and only who has come. And it's only through him as you believe and receive that you can have eternal life, that the Holy Spirit can come and live in you and that you can live the life to the full that he's talking about. There's an urgency, but there's a humility that I think makes witnessing, our witnessing, so engaging and so powerful. So why don't we pray now together that this week as we go, we will be humble witnesses, always pointing to Jesus, always letting him have the glory because in the end, we're sinners profoundly saved by grace. I'm a new creation. I'm going to heaven. I'm forgiven. But this is all through Jesus' doing and not mine. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, God, thank you so much for John, John the Baptist, his incredible example of what it is to faithfully do the task of helping people look to you. Oh God, our church, we long to see hundreds and thousands of people in this area come to know you as their Lord and Saviour. Lord, we don't want to be a big church where people say how great we are. We want to be a church that reaches out to people helping them see your son, Father. And helping them come to know Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us witness to you in everything that we do. Help us get right out of the spotlight and let people see your son. And God, would you draw people to yourself as we lift you up. May people believe and receive and come your children. And may people come to know you, Lord Jesus. I pray this for our own lives too. God, in the temptation for us to think that we're better than others, to think that we're more spiritual than others, 
to think that we, we've got something more that's our own doing rather than your amazing work of grace in our life. Help us to always humbly be aware of our sin and what you've saved us from. And help us cling to the cross of Christ every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of this morning, if you'd take your blue cards and just spend a few moments in response.